It is just past seven o'clock and huge show on tap again. And, you know, it's just overwhelming again with this weekend. And you got to be so excited to know uh, Harris and the interns here. And What's he up, came Mike? in and said, this was just a crazy weekend. Was, this is as a sports fan, it's paradise. I hadn't been this excited for a sports weekend and live up to the hype. Than probably like Super Bowl weekend. It's, so much happened this weekend. It's so exciting. <laughs> it's Ira on sports on the True Oldies channel. Ira's with us via phone. Hopefully get him back in studio next week. But Ira, I know you were just absolutely loving the golf amongst everything else this weekend. Uh, the golf was great. Sunday was great. Uh, the, mes- the word mesmerized comes to mind. Uh, I just wish I was betting it because everyone was asking me, was seven golfers tied at 10? And I said, I think Mark Howe's going to win this. And I was right, and I couldn't make any money on that. And I really had, as someone who's been watching golf for the last two months in detail, like every tournament, I just felt like he was the best at that. But what a win. And I almost had a, I was driving a lot yesterday. I almost had a car crash when I heard someone say, oh, he wasn't the best golfer out there. I'm like, the best golfer out there? He's, he's been the best golfer the past two months. He is maybe one of the best youngest go- young golfers we've seen since Tiger Woods. I, I like what else you expect? This guy's going to win tons of majors. He's going to win tons of tournaments. He's phenomenal. So it's not a surprise that he won this tournament. He's really, really good. No, he, he's definitely the real deal. And, you know, I, I was very close to betting Brooks Kepka on Sunday because he just had that feeling. And I'm glad I didn't, though, because I got to root for Morikawa, who I've always liked. And, you know, we're just happy to see him take the next step. But we'll talk about that. Uh, more in just a little bit here on Iron Sports. But first, Ira, you know, the old saying, no news is good news. Mm. And I think that's kind of what we got here with college football, where it's been weeks and weeks where we really haven't heard anything. Now, today, some big news, and it's not good. Well, it's the rumor. The Big Ten was supposedly announcing today, then tomorrow, the rumor comes out that they're going to cancel. And that would be just humongous. I mean, for the Big Ten to cancel, for the Pac-10, Pac-12 to cancel would be uh, enormous in terms of what's going to happen. It started last week when the MAC, which is like the Akron's of the world in Miami, Ohio, they canceled the fall season, leaving open perhaps the spring. Uh, we were getting, it, it was getting positive we got since the last show because the Big 12 announced their schedule, which is going to be like a nine conference team conference schedule, plus two non-conferences. The AC was a 10 plus one, 10 conference, one non-conference with Notre Dame. But the SEC Big Ten and Pac-12 were all going to be 10 conference games. And even the SEC got excited. They were like, they put a schedule out. So they put this official schedule, but they said who the teams are going to be playing. And how would you like to be in Missouri one day and say, <laughs> guess what extra two teams we added to your schedule? Missouri Alabama and, Alabama. and LSU. LSU, Alabama. It's <laughs> honestly, it couldn't get more brutal than that for the Missouri Tiger fans. <laughs> and then what happened is that you got like Micah Parsons for Penn State, their top linebacker. He opted out, and you're like, "Oh my, Micah Parsons is going to be a star for two years." And you say he he opted out. Then you start getting these other big names at all these schools, like Minnesota's wide receiver Bateman is going to be one of the best wide receivers. Uh, Miami defensive end Greg Rousseau uh, opted out, and Purdue's wide receiver. I mean, you're getting these opt outs. But then you get it today, and it's like these opt-outs don't even matter. If they're never going to play, what does it even matter if they opt out? Um, so I think that's where you're standing. I mean, it seems like inevitable. Supposedly the Big Ten, you know, the rumors are that it was 12 to 2. They voted to the kids to terminate the season. They're waiting till, till, till um, next uh, until tomorrow. And I think one of the big issues is that the SEC, which I feel wants to play, will We'll do anything to play. And if we run a schedule where we have the SEC and the ACC and the Big 12 playing and the Pac-12 
12 and the Big Ten not playing or two of the conference are playing. I mean, what's that going to say about these conferences if they get through their schedule? I mean, it's definitely going to give them a huge recruiting advantage. If people, if somehow the number of cases goes down, the number of deaths go down, and suddenly this goes away and the Big Ten's not playing football when it's October and the SEC has their big games on every single week, I mean, the Big Ten is looking to become irrelevant. I mean, that's why I think the Big Ten was trying to say, can we all do this in lockstep, not just one, not just ourselves, because if they do it themselves and the SEC ends up playing and uh, the cases go down and they can have a season, it's going to give them a gigantic, they already have a huge recruiting advantage. It's going to even give them even more recruiting advantage. No, and that's one of the first things that that dawned on me is that, yeah, this is going to really affect some of these conferences that don't play as recruiting because what kid's going to want to go there if they think they have a shot to go to the NFL? But what do you think is going to happen as a ramification? I mean, if, if you're, say, a sophomore last year, one of these schools that's not playing, and you have draft aspirations but don't have enough tape, how can I get to the SEC? How can I get to a team that's playing? You know the NCAA has all these um, you know, transfer portals that take a year you know, of eligibility away. You think they're going to amend the rules here and let some of these hopefuls get to teams that will actually let them on the field? I don't think they'll let them this year, but there will be certainly next year. I mean, you've already seen lots of transfers and everybody leaving. I think you're going to see something like that. Um, but the one thing I keep hearing people say, well, this is the problem with college football. This is terrible. There needs to be a commissioner, this and that. I mean, people have to understand. The colleges are run by the schools and the school presidents, and they're more than just football teams. Like the Pittsburgh Steelers are a football team. That's what they do for a living. That's what they get paid for. Uh, the Ohio State University has 50,000 students that go there. They're not all football players. Like, there's other reasons they go to school. I mean, Harvard, Yale, Penn, for years, for longer than Alabama's been a great team, were the best football teams in the country, and the schools decided we're not going to de-emphasize football and not play football. And guess what? Harvard, Yale, and Penn are still doing very, very well. And Chicago doesn't even play football, and it's one of the top schools in the country with huge endowments. I'm, so I'm just saying is that there's a different, there are other factors in play here, and people say, oh my gosh, the cause of has to play but as we talked about this so many times as opposed to the other sports i mean look at hockey no coronavirus no uh, covid cases uh, no covid cases in the nba and those things that are working they're in a bubble but it's impossible these are kids on campus you can't put kids on a bubble there's too many players on the team there's too much going on it's just very very difficult to have this how this works out if there's ever a, a sport that was not going to be able to play it was going to be college football and now they're running against it i mean their only hope was they're saying well their hope was that the cases would go away well yeah, that's what they were hoping for because they realized there was no other way to get around this. Because if they were going to have cases, then it was going to be difficult to play football. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not throwing blame on the college football and the whole system and everything like that because they are in a difficult bind because they are a school. They do not, they're not as much as we think that everything is pro is college football, and I love college football. There is there's more than college football at these universities. No, absolutely, I, I agree with you, and, and you can't force people that aren't being paid to go and you know risk getting a, a virus during a pandemic and, and spreading it to their family. It's just crazy. You know, it's funny you brought up Micah Parsons because Lavar Arrington, Penn State, um, you know, Penn State great, came out and said, you know, we love Micah Parsons, but the two linebackers behind him are just as good, and you'll be hearing their names really soon. Is there any other players you want to talk about before we, we move on? No, I think I just think we're gonna we're gonna see tomorrow what happens in college, and by the time we do the show next week. I'm thinking the SEC is going to wait. I, I think the SEC and the Big 12 and the ACC are going to wait. I would assume the Pac-12, um, because they play in California. It's very strict rules. It's going to be hard to get them going to play. And I think the Big 10, are the, I think they probably will pull the plug. But we'll see what happens with the other conferences. And then, you know, you 
the whole point about the NFL, the NFL, the NFL is playing. I, I, they'll figure out some way to play. There's just no way they're not going to play. And the NFL is going to look to maybe move some of their games to Saturday because that's just leaving a whole void in the schedule if you take all those zillion college football games that are out there. But remember, if the SEC, think of the advantage you have is every, if you had an SEC game at 12 o'clock at 3.30 and at 7.30 or 8 o'clock every day, every Saturday, I mean, they would just dominate the landscape. And now that the SEC is playing just the SEC, you're going to have these big-time games, the Georgia-Alabama games, the Florida's, everyone is playing. It is going to be so, I mean, the SEC, if they can get this, you know, off, and they're going to they're gonna just, you know, rule the landscape, and then we'll be, they'll really be the premier conference. Say they do, just hypothetical, the, only the SEC plays this fall, maybe the Big 12 also, but if there's probably going to be no bowl season either. So how legit well, – do you think that the national champion will be considered the SEC champion? Like as if the SEC championship is really the national championship. Like I know we saw Alabama and Georgia, two SEC teams play in the national championship two years ago. We've seen an SEC team in every college football playoff except the first one. So do you think that team would be considered the champion of 2020? You know, it's so funny about college football is that I'm older than Harrison is by uh, many, many years. But there were there were times when, when people really – the national championship wasn't as prestigious as the conference championships. I mean, the Big Ten, the Big Ten title was worth more. I mean, there were times when no, you know, teams wouldn't even go to the, the Bulls. They wouldn't even play in the Bulls. They didn't care. And remember, they were announcing lots of champions. So, Coach was a little different. I think that this year, yeah, if you're the SEC champion, you're the, you know, they, if they can play, they'll probably, if at least two conferences play, then they're going to have a national championship Like game the Big 12 the SEC championship, something like that. Hypothetical. Yeah, they'll be the national champion, and then they'll have an asterisk. But all these guys have asterisks. If you look back in like the '30s and '40s, they they named like eight champions. So I, there's times in these when there's been two or three and AP poll, UPI poll. It's just the last few years we've sort of had a definitive championship. But um, I think if it was like if like Mac was if they say the Pac-12 was the only conference to play and USC won it or whatever, then I think you would question whether they're the best team. But considering the SEC seems to win the national championship every single year almost. Yeah. But I, I, I look, I think Clemson wants to play. I think there's, it's weird with the ACC. I think there's a segment of the ACC that really wants to play. And you might see a situation where the ACC breaks down and just says, okay, we're going to have a certain amount of teams. Like, I do think that these, there are teams that are just going to try to make this work out. And the Big Ten doesn't seem to be interested in trying that for liability reasons. There's so many different factors that go into it. And part of it was, as what Mike just said, you just don't want to force. It's one thing to have the Steelers, the average salary is you know, millions of dollars that they're making playing. These kids don't make any money at all. Uh, it's just the risk of putting them in harm's way. You're listening to Iron Sports. This is the true oldies channel. Mike Balsamo, Harrison, the intern here as well. Yep. Um, l- let's talk about golf, Ira. This was a great, a great weekend. Not even just a great Sunday. Um, you know, how often do you see half a dozen guys tied at the top of the leaderboard on a Sunday afternoon? And first and foremost, let's talk about Harding Park because this golf course was beautiful. And again, I didn't miss the fans. <laughs> no, you don't miss the fans. And it was at Best Page last year. So the PGAs were going to these public golf courses, and the views of San Francisco were tremendous. Now, 15 players pulled out of this tournament. Molinari, Westwood, Harrington. A lot of the international players weren't there, but no one's saying it wasn't you know, one of these elite fields. It's the major championship. It's weird. The PGA is sometimes let, is like, quote, the fourth major behind the U.S. Open, the British Open, the Masters. But this year, being the first one, had a lot of there was certainly a lot of uh, enthusiasm for it. And it, built, it was it certainly it looked, the course was great. It really was a fair course. It wasn't crazy. It wasn't like the rough was impossible to get out of. It wasn't like the greens were to- totally impossible to handle. I thought it was a really good tournament where you're, you know, 1300 might have been a t- little too low for what they want at these tournaments. But usually the PGA, you get scores a little lower than you would do at, uh, at, at like the U.S. Open. 
open. But great, great. You know, I, again, I agree with you. The fans, you just don't miss them at all. One thing that that I, I, I think it was Golf Digest or PGA Tour came out today and said, had there been fans that Colin Morikawa shot, um, you know, when he drove the green for Eagle, that might be one of the greatest moments in golf history if there was a gallery there to go absolutely nuts like they would have on a Tiger chip-in from Augusta. So that might be the only drawback that I think that may get a little buried. But other than that, it was a great golf tournament. So let's talk about it. Yeah, I mean... what what I did when I started out doing it on Thursday was following Tiger, uh, Dustin Thomas, and Rory on the Golf Channel, where you only follow those three. I love doing that. I love just watching Tiger. You know, I I said there's the Tigers that have a channel where you just watch Tiger all the time, and I saw them play at the Genesis a bunch of times. They were teams, so Tiger, Rory, and I mean here you have the number one golfer in the world and Justin Thomas, number three in the world is Rory, and of course Tiger Woods. And it was interesting. Tiger came in this tournament using uh, a longer version of Scott Cameron putter. It, it was you know, the putter that he used, 14 and 15 majors, he actually switched his putter. But he says he's done it a couple times. Um, but he played, you know, on Thursday he played well. He, he shot two under. It was, it was just three shots off the league. It was only the first time Tiger usually starts these majors slowly. It was the first time he shot sub-70 since the 2014 British Open. And uh, he has a shot ahead of Rory and two shots ahead of Justin Thomas. Uh, but, you know, it was exciting. It was weird. Tiger started out here, 10-foot birdie on the on the hole 10, which was the first hole. They had 35-foot birdie. putted really, really well. Um, but, you know, but he hit combined, I think it was 76 putts made, 76 feet of putts made, which is more than Rory and JT combined. So I was really excited, um, you know, for confidence, saying, look, Tiger, he's getting in this tournament. This is what he's going to do to get his 16th major, and I'm pumped with that. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, Jason Day was in the lead at five under, uh, and then Martin Kamer, Timer out of Germany, who shockingly was one shot off the lead and the next day missed the cut of the tournament. But uh, we know Jason Day because he was a PGA champion in 2005, former number one in the world. Um, but he's played well recently, seventh in Workday, uh, fourth in Memorial, sixth in Memphis. And uh, so he, he was someone who was, knows his way around these courses and do, does well. Brooks was four under and the story was Brooks Kafka was trying to be the first golfer since Peter Thompson in 1956 British Open to go back to back to back, and the first in the PGA since Walter Hagen in 24-27 to win three majors, uh, three this tournament, three majors at the same time. So, um, but it was look. I thought that first day was great, but just just following Tiger and Justin Thomas and Rory was just fun to watch them all day on, on the on the app. So going into Friday, or on Friday, we saw the emergence of Hao Tang Lee, I I believe is how you're going to say it. So Friday was interesting because between him and there was a a player from the Dominican Republic, who I can't remember his name now either, two guys, internationals, that we've never really heard of before, and these guys are going to be the leaders going into the weekend. I love, you know, when I read about Hao Tang Lee, and I watched the President's Cup, but I didn't get the backstory. Like, you know, the President's Cup was last year. I just didn't get the whole backstory of what happened. So he's a 25-year-old Chinese golfer from China. Um, he has been playing horrendous. He has no top tens in his last eight tournaments. Last week at Memphis, he was 75 out of 78. And at the President's Cup, he brought his friend to be a caddy, not just a normal caddy. Like, he didn't take it seriously at all, showed up late, didn't care about it. This is for the international team. Ernie Els is like, you're crazy. You can't do this. And then when Ernie says, I'm benching, I'm benching you for the first day, he said, can I go sightseeing instead of, of <laughs> the other play? 
<laughs> and, you know, he's sponsored by WeChat, which they're going to ban that one. I mean, everything was a mess with Lee Tango. For him to come out and shoot that 8-under, and, and he shot it's a 565 to leave um, after Friday at 8-under, that was, you know, amazing. And then you have uh, uh, Fleet, Tommy Fleetwood at 6-under. He was quarantined in the Hamptons. One of the problems with the international golfers, they had to be quarantined when they came to America. So he was a quarantine in the Hamptons to play Shinnecock and all the other uh, courses out there. Day was at 6-under, Berger 6-under, Brooks was at 6-under, and Justin Rhodes at 600. So you look at that field, like Day and Daniel Berger, Brooks Kepka, Justin Rose, you know, you're excited about this. And, and you know, who to miss the cut? Ricky Fowler, again, just terrible. I mean, it's just you're expecting something. He's not been playing well. He missed the cut, and Sergio Garcia missed the cut. And Cameron Tringle, who nobody knows the name, but he made the cut, but he signed his, again, this stupid rule, I think is the dumbest thing in the world, is he signed his scorecard wrong. I guess he counted on one of the holes the wrong, and he was disqualified. <laughs> so, um, And then I did the same thing I did on Thursday. I watched Tiger, I watched Rory, I watched JT, and uh, and it was just like Tiger did not putt well at all. I mean, it was a total, at one point he was one over, what is one over, which was a cut line. He had bogeys at 13 and 15. He finally birdied 16 to get to even, but he didn't play well. Rory was one under, and JT had a double bogey. Um, at what Rory had a weird round. He had a triple bogey on the par 4 12th, but between 6 and 10, he had four straight birdies. He's never in a major ever had four straight majors in a row, which was amazing. I, I couldn't believe that was the first time he ever did that. But then he had a triple bogey when he just, it was, a, it was one of those things where he had like three putts. And they were all short and he kept missing them. And, uh, but they both, all three made the cuts, but you could tell they were so far out. They, it really would take a miracle with all the other golfers ahead of them that any one of those three was going to actually be in contention over the weekend. This is Ira on Sports True Oldies channel. Ira, uh, let's talk about Saturday because this is when things started really getting exciting. Well, I mean, this Dustin Johnson uh, shot a, he had a double bogey on the ninth, and you're like, oh, this might go away. But then he shot a 31 on the back nine. And this is Dustin Johnson. He took his fourth time. He took a 54 lead, 54 hole lead into a major with a major. And he's the, and he's never won now. <laughs> so it was 0 for 4, which isn't good. And this was his chance. I mean, this was, I mean, he was at eight, he, he shot, he was at nine under. And then Scott Scheffler, who is sort of like, every time you have these majors, there's always this guy that really hasn't played well and just comes out of nowhere and whatever. And he, he's, he was at eight under. And then this Cameron Champ, another hit or miss. He only had two PGA Tour victories, but only two other top 10 fish. He was at seven under. But then you had Morikawa at seven under. You had Brooks at seven under. Bryson DeChambeau had shot a good day. He finished the day at six under. Finau at six under. And then you had Bros, Day, Berger, Fleetwood. It was that type of day where they all, you know, were all set. And then you're sitting there and you're just saying, well, uh, you know, one other thing is Lee, um, Hotong Lee did not play well. He finally, you know, shot a 73. He fell four strokes back. So he was sort of in the mix. But you're waiting. You're saying, look at this. Kepka is just sitting there two strokes back. I remember last year, you know, he was back two strokes behind Dustin Johnson. He was ahead of Dustin Johnson by, I think it was three or four strokes. And then Dustin Johnson was trying to catch him. And, and But this case, he was going after after Dustin Johnson. And he made a comment before. They asked about, like, what his chances are. He goes, well, Dustin's only won four, and I won, won. Dustin's only won one, and I won four. And then Rory has out on and said, uh, that's really mean of him to say. But Dustin and Brooks are friends. Like, they work out together all the time. I think he was just joking around. And But I think, you know, again, everyone criticizes Brooks. I think it's just they're they're so overly sensitive to whatever Brooks says. But uh, I was expecting this Sunday, like you, you're looking at this and like you've got to watch what Brooks does because I was waiting for Brooks to make his move on Sunday. And, of course, like Rory was plus one, Phil was plus one, Tiger was plus – Tiger was ended up 
plus. So I mean, even they were all out of the the mix. So you weren't going to have any of those guys involved in it. Yeah, but it, it was definitely star-studded enough to keep the interest of basically every golf fan. Everybody I know was dialed in on Sunday, Ira, and the, the finale didn't disappoint. <laughs> well, the first thing to look at was I said going into this, Dustin Johnson, to me, when I see him at the Genesis and Lynn, and you see him in some of these tournaments, when he has it going on, he's like he's like someone who's playing well, will keep playing well during the whole day. And he did not – he – he birdied the first hole, and you're like, he's set to go. But then he bogeyed, birdied, and he, then he had nine straight pars. And it seemed like he was, but the nine pars weren't like he was putting for birdies or anything. So he was just playing flat. Kefka was a mess. I mean, he shot, he was, he had four bogeys in the first nine holes. So Kefka's not putting pressure on Dustin Johnson. Justin Johnson's in the mix. And, uh, uh, the, what, so Matthew Wolf, we didn't even mention his name. He came out of nowhere, shot a 65. He was about to shoot a 64 to go 11 under. So this, he finished at 10 under. So everything was at 10 under. There was a seven, like with like, and when DJ was at like, made the turn, there was like a seven way tie at 10 under. Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, Maury Cower, Scheffler, Paul Casey, and Tony Finau. And look, Paul Casey has been a top uh, European golfer for a long time. Great golfer. Finau is, young American who, who was really does great in these majors. You saw him with the Masters. Um, Morikawa, of course, Jason Day, DJ. And I'm like, everyone's saying, who's going to win? And I said, you know what? I've seen Morikawa play. Like, I saw at the Colonial, he, uh, he played very well at the Colonial and, and, and barely lost at that when he missed some putts. And then, uh, then he beat, uh, and then, and then he beat at the workday, Justin Thomas at a playoff. He's made cut his cut in the first 22 tournaments that he's played. Only Tiger at 25. So he's since September, September, he's played in 19 tournaments. And, uh, and he's played in six of the tournaments since the stoppage and he's won almost two of them. So this is three out of seven tournaments. So I liked Morikawa's chances going into, you know, when at that 10 under, I thought he was playing well enough, uh, to do it. Uh, Wolf goes in there at 10 under and then at 14, Par four, Morikawa hits the ball center of the of the fairway, and then his next shot was terrible. He was like 150 yards to green, and he hits it in the rough on there. And you're like, oh, you know, he's he's going to fall apart. Pressures to him, but then he chips in uh, in from 150 yards uh, for a birdie. I mean, this is one you thought he was going to do a bogey, and that get it, that got him to that 11 under. So he's at 11, and then you got Bryce and Blow, So you're like, where's he at? So he had 16. He buries to go to 10. So you have all these people at 10 under, and Jason Day gets goes to 18. He gets to 10. So you have Jason Day at 10. You have Wolf at 10, and then you have Casey was birding. He finally, he was the only person to go up to like 11. So he ties Colin at 11, and at that same time, like everything was happening. I'm listening to my radio, and I'm also watching it on TV because I was in the bar and I'm trying to do it all at the same time. And at that point, Morikawa goes to. 16, which was ridiculously easy. I mean, you could, everybody was trying to drive it. It was 294 feet, but he drew, he hit it, and you could see on the shot tracker, dead straight, seven feet away for a seven-foot putt, and he eagled. And he makes that eagle. He's at 13 under. And so that sort of set him up, because now everybody had to come catch him. And you had Casey misses a putt on 17, stayed at 11. Bryson only parred 17 and 18. Finau at 18, you know, was able to stay at minus 10. So they're all coming in at 10. Like, he was like, they were the golfers that were ahead of him were just coming in, just getting a 10. And then the only one that really had a chance was Dustin Johnson and Scheffner. And at 16, he actually got to 10 under himself by chipping in on a, for, a, for a birdie. But Scheffner could eagle. And then it really, I, I, you got to give Morikawa credit because now he made that he's a two-shot lead. He, on 17, par three, he does that well, gets a par, easy par. On 18, an easy par. So he ended with 13 under. Casey stayed at Paul Casey stayed at 11. DJ actually tied for second at 11. And then you had Wolf, Day, Finau, Bryson, Dishonblow, and Scheffler at 10 under. But just a great win. But the way he 
hit those big shots on 14 and the eagle on 16 and then playing the, the, just getting those pars on 17 and 18 a phenomenal just win for Colin Marcaro. So did you happen to see um, who stole the uh, stole the weekend and stole the spotlight there a little bit as Steph Curry um, lined up as a reporter to ask questions to Colin Marcaro and then offered to caddy for him for the next three months I thought that was pretty cool. Well, considering he's not playing basketball, you know, that would be that would be one thing. And I think that Phil, I think another thing interesting at the tournament was that you heard when Phil Mickelson did the commentary, people loved him. I mean, it was almost, they felt it was like a Tony Romo type. He was like, he's going to do this, this is going to happen. Actually, I, some people didn't like him, but I thought he was great. I thought Mickelson, but he, I expected him to be great. I mean, who doesn't expect Phil Mickelson to be a very good commentator? He has opinions, he's funny, and uh, I thought he was, you know, thought he was great with that. But it was weird. So John Rom, so I'm trying to figure out what happened with the World Rankings. John Rom actually took the world rankings from Justin Thomas by like a point oh percentage. So Rom's now back at number one. Rory's third, DJ's fourth, and then Colin is uh, Markow is fifth and fifth. Uh, fifth, you know, setting setting thing up. So the Wyndham is next. Uh, you have, uh, I thought nobody was going to play at the Wyndham, which is really, but Kepka and Webb Simpson, Kepka has to play in to try to get into tour championships. Uh, Spieth is playing in there, and then the North, then the whole tour, then the uh, playoffs start. The Northern Trust in Boston, the BMW in Chicago, and the tour championships in Atlanta. That's it. That's the end of the season, and they'll play the U.S. Open in September and the Masters in November. But uh, what a, it, it was great. I mean, golf's ratings are through the roof. They're doing better. Golf is doing better than any other sport, and who would have believed that this would happen with Tiger, not in the mix, you know, Tiger's not in the mix, no one's going to watch it, but the ratings are up. And Jay Monaghan, the commissioner, has done a great job. The protocols they had in place for COVID, it, the sport lends itself to having playing in a pandemic, but I think they've handled it well. And the golfers themselves, you have this great young group of young golfers from the Matthew Wolves to the Morikawa that are coming up. I mean, golf is in a great place. No, it really is. We, it seems like every three years I'm thinking to myself, man, these are the best young golfers I've ever seen, and they just get better. Every couple of years, another cycle of these kids that are just massive. Um, it's Iron Sports, True Oldies Channel, Mike Balsamo, Harris, and the intern here as well. I- Ira, we talk about how the NFL does a great job of keeping itself in the headlines, even in the offseason. And it's not always for the best reasons, and we saw that uh, this weekend. Well, there is guys from the Redskins. I mean, they get into trouble. You would think that during the pandemic, people would be a little more careful, but... He, people have to understand what Darius guys. So Gary Dice played at LSU, and he was this great running back for them. When he went to the Redskins, people were like, oh, my gosh, Darius guys in the Redskins. Everyone's drafting him in the first round of fantasy. He really has played five games in two years. been a total disaster. Everybody's been drafting him high. He's been getting hurt, have problems, all this other stuff. And now the Redskins, with Ron Rivera, decided, look, you got domestic violence issues. We're just cutting you. So they just cut him, and he's going to be the star of the, of the, the backfield. They still have Adrian Peterson. And I, I just love looking at stats. And Adrian Peterson has um, – he's still at 14,200 yards. Um, Emmett Smith is 4,000 ahead of him. So he's in one, two, three, four, fifth place behind uh, 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 Walter Payton, Frank Gore, uh, and, and Barry Sanders. Actually, uh, yeah, fifth place in Barry Sanders. So he probably next year with 1,000 yards could become in like maybe fourth place behind passing Barry Sanders. But you're wondering, you know, if Adrian Peterson didn't lose all those years with the injuries and he had the suspension, whether he'd be, I mean, Emmett's mark at 18,355 looks almost impossible. Like Ezekiel Elliott only has 5,400 yards. Like Frank Gore is still playing at 15,000 yards, but he's, he's going to be uh, the Jets this year, probably gain like three, 400. So he's never going to challenge that. But you just wonder about uh, Peterson. He's 35 years old. I mean, can he, run until he's 39 and, and break Emmett's record, which would be amazing. But, uh, look, the Redskins are making changes and, and Geis getting cut is, is, 
is the first of, I'm sure, many. Well, and, and also, uh, you know, on the <laughs> on the not so good football news, it uh, looks like DeAndre Baker is facing up to ten years on those um, robbery charges, and they let Quentin Dunbar walk completely, which oh. I thought was a little bit interesting that he's getting nothing uh, in this scenario. I. Yeah, I mean, it, it, well, I think. Look, some of these teams you're seeing with these the personnel issues and what, and, and it's just a mess. I mean, the Giants have have issues, but I, I think the Jets. I mean, with, with people like we're just going to talk about Josh Doxson off out of the season. Jets wide receiver depth is zilch. I mean, they have nothing, and you're seeing that at some of these other teams. I mean, that's why Antonio Brown talk about a problem. Like, there's a lot of these teams, and you're looking at uh, that don't have any wide receivers. That you're thinking, boy, Antonio Brown's going to walk in there and be the number one wide receiver. So, uh, but it. Look, it's a, you know, definitely an issue. The, the most successful Jets receiver of my lifetime has to be Lavernius Coles. And that's Who? not say, Yeah, that's, I mean, like, he was the most consistent. I bet he's got the most yards, you know, in the last two decades. Oh, Brandon Marshall had a good few seasons for them, though. Yeah, he was okay. You know, it wasn't, it, it was past Brandon Marshall's prime. Yeah. They had Santonio Holmes, too, for, yeah. for a little while. But of Brandon course, they Edwards. weren't getting, yeah, they weren't getting the best out of those guys. And it's always just a perpetual cycle of mediocrity at the skill positions for the New York Jets. Um, basketball's going on, Ira, and I think Harrison gave me a stat before Suns are undefeated in the bubble. Yep. I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> well, look, I mean, this is, I watch, I will watch, I at least watch one NBA game a night, and I've been watching, of course, the Heat. But it's interesting. I think that some people are getting a little too excited about, I mean, over, <laughs> over emphasizing some of these games. If you look at the East right now, Milwaukee is the number one seed. They're locked in. Toronto, number two seed, locked in. Uh, Boston, number three seed, they're locked in. Now, Miami's at 12, and Indiana's a, Indiana's a, Miami's a fourth seed, 12 games back. Indiana's tied with them. But does it matter if one's a fourth seed and one's a fifth seed? There's no home court advantage. Like, one's going to be four, one's going to be five. Then you have Philly at six, uh, and, and they could move up to four and five, but they just lost Ben Simmons. If he got hurt, you got to assume they're going to be at the six. And then Brooklyn and Orlando, seven, eight, and Washington's out. So the East is done. I mean, that's, you know, we're, we're, I'd, love to, I'd love to run through some of these teams, but it's the, the excitement is in the West. Not in the not in the East, but so when people say, "Oh my gosh, Milwaukee hasn't played well. They're two and four in the bubble." I don't know. I mean, they've had some tough games. They've looked a little sluggish. But I'm not going to go say they're they're terrible or whatever. These games, they have the number one seed wrapped up. If you watch the end of the NBA regular season, typically these teams are coasting. They're playing their their second string the whole time. So I'm not I'm not going to say Milwaukee two and four in the bubble. They're terrible. Or the Celtics are four and two. Or are putting any emphasis when these games don't matter at all. If you go back to March before the season pause. The Bucks are now three and seven in their last ten. I know not, a lot of people don't want to panic about that. Giannis has obviously played pretty well. Chris Middleton, they rested their starters basically against the Nets in that second half. I wouldn't be overly concerned about Milwaukee, but I think some of those other teams. I think there's a lot of concern about the Heat right now. I know you guys, you want to breeze past it. How you know they're locked in the four seed? They're just a game up on Philly. You know, if the Heat, let's say hypothetically, they lose to the Pacers twice and the Thunder in the next three games, all of a sudden they're falling to the six seed and they're playing the red hot. Boston Celtics led by Jason Tatum in round one. You know, I think the thing about the Celtics that's interesting is that Kemba Walker has been hurt and really hasn't played that much. And they play four and two. Uh, they destroyed the Nets on Wednesday. They crushed the Raptors. That, that was one of those signature games, 122 to that's 100. The, that's the Raptors' only great. loss in the bubble. 
Right. They look. They look good. The Celtics look look very good without Kevin Walker. And then, of course, you like how the how the Raptors have been playing. We've been talking about how they're they're great. Now they're, but you like the Raptors are playing Milwaukee tonight. If the Raptors win by twenty, I'm not going to say Milwaukee stinks. Like again, I think that the Bucks have had Conahay was was not a bad, lot. Two of them was they've been playing with Al Bledsoe without Conahay. Um, they've been resting their starters. I'm not going to put. I'm just not. I was heard that Adam Shine was going crazy about Milwaukee and stuff like that. They're in trouble. They're in trouble. They play great defense. They shoot three well, uh, I'm not ready to say. And they'll get their act together. They have a whole first series against uh, Orlando to, to get, or Brooklyn, probably Orlando, to get their act together. Now, from the, from the Heat perspective, what I'm nervous about is Jimmy Butler's not playing. And then if you watched what happened against the Celtics when they when they, uh, when they, the when they blew it against the Bucks when they blew the 20-point lead, they need Goran Dragic in that game. I mean, Kendrick Nunn is having trouble right now. And he was 5-17 or 17 against the Bucks, And they're getting great play by Hero, great play by Duncan Robinson, 25 points each against the Suns, but they need Drogic, and I think they need Drogic to start. Honestly, I think they need, and I think none have not, look, none is up for Rookie of the Year and all this other stuff, but I really think that they need Drogic in that game uh, in the starting lineup, and they need Butler to play, and that's an issue, and so we'll see what happens, but I, I agree with you. I'm a little nervous about the, you know, I'm, you know I'm, I just would like to see the Heat playing better than this, and I need to see Drogic healthy. He turned his ankle, um, and he needs to be healthy to play. I, if Drogic's not healthy in play, when he was playing well against uh, against the Celtics, he looked great. I mean, he's Gordon Drogic. That's why he got the $25, $28 million contract. He's an elite player, and he, in the World Championships, you could see it, and he could he could put this team on his back. But he needs to be healthy if he's not. But when you talk, so you're talking about the Heat. They need these players because they're hurt. But you know who also is hurt? The Indiana Pacers. They're missing Demontis Sabonis, who's an All Star. They're missing Miles Turner, who's their starting center. They have some like no names are starting basically in the forward spots and you know the Celtics are hurt also Kemba Walker was a starter in the All-Star game he hasn't even been playing so there have been some other teams in this bubble who are playing hurt but it's kind of I'm just hearing the excuses out of Miami not really from Boston Indiana because they're winning (laughs) I just want to hear you say it both ways no, we're going to see it. I mean, Indiana. Look, Indiana looks, Ward, as, who, Indiana looks as, as good as any team in the East right now. They're four and one in the bubble. And if you look at TJ Warren's game logs right now, he had fifty three against the Sixers, thirty four against the Wizards, thirty two against the Magic, sixteen against the best team in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns, and then thirty nine against the Lakers, including the game clinching three in LeBron's face on Saturday night. And they've been doing all this without Sabonis. Like I think they'll play the Heat in round one, but I really don't see a scenario right now where the Heat can beat the Pacers. Oh, wow, I don't, I wouldn't say that. They play tonight. No, no, they play tonight, no. and then they play, I think, on Saturday. Yeah, they play two out of three games. They play two out of three games, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not sold on that. I think, look, Philadelphia, with Ben Simmons dislocating his kneecap and out for the season and Embiid being hurt and, and Philadelphia being a mess already, I mean, they're going to fall back to the sixth seed, and they're going to lose to the Raptors in the first round. And then you have, uh, you know, it's interesting about Brooklyn. I mean, everyone, again, Chris LeVert's playing great, and that team plays well. Yeah, they, they, next year they're going to get Kyrie and Kevin Durant, but they, they have some players who play really hard on that team. And I feel like when Kyrie's like, well, we need more help, and we need more help. But, like, Kyrie, you and Durant with this team should be able to get to the NBA Finals. Like, I just, when that comment was like, we need help on this team when he's not even playing, just shows me a lot about Kyrie. But, uh, no, I, look, I'm excited for that first round series. Now, it's interesting. This is the final week, and then they start next week, so then they start playing the playoffs. And I'm pumped. I love the NBA playoffs, so yep. I'm excited for this. I run sports, true oldies channel, Mike Balsamo Harris, and the intern here. Um, I re- so let's go to the West. I, I, I watching this team play. I think that coaches and players around the West 
are not going to be happy if they draw Portland. They don't want Portland in this in this playoff at all. And if they do get in, I don't think anyone wants to see them in the first round. I'm going to jump in here quickly. Sorry, Ira. Uh, speaking of Portland, Damian Lillard, this is your trivia of the week. Damian Lillard last night in the comeback win against Portland put up his 10th career 50-point game. He is the 10th player in NBA history to do so. Tell me the two active players in the NBA who have more 50-point games than Damian Lillard. Harden. Okay. Um... Uh, Westbrook? God, I want to say LeBron. Don't you want to say LeBron? I, I do, but I, I, I he just if it was you know triple double or something, maybe. It's I, definitely Harden, but jeez, I don't know. I don't know. It's Who's, Harden and LeBron. LeBron yeah. is twelve. Harden. Oh, is, I guess Harden, <laughs> Harden is fourth all time with twenty three. The only players with more than Harden is Kobe with twenty five, MJ thirty one, and Wilt with one hundred eighteen. Just one hundred eighteen. Yeah, I'm not, just, <laughs> not too bad. Two K numbers. <laughs> um, Ira, do you want to talk about the, these guys a little bit? Um, Portland just—I don't know. They just seem to be playing good. They had a bad season coming off. Of, I think they had high expectations for themselves, but now that they have this like shot at redemption, I'd be petrified to play them. Well, this is what, and I gave the wrong information on on my show yet last week. I was I was a little off. I forgot that if the teams are within four games. Like, this is some of these rules where you got to, like, someone's yard, and like, oh, it hits the, they hit a ball, and hits over there, and it counts as this. And that. The thing is that if it's, if there's, if the teams between eight and nine are less than four games, they're going to play a three game series. And the winner of that three game, if the team that the AC wins one of the first games, they win the first game, then it's over. But if it goes one and one, then the winner of the third game wins it. But it's crazy. So, like, if, the, if, if Memphis is the AC, then what Memphis is doing is just continually the losing games. But Portland, while you're intrigued with Portland getting in there is because you look at Portland, you're like, this team could beat the Lakers. You don't see Memphis being the Lakers. You can't see the Spurs being the Lakers. You can't see the Suns being the Lakers. But you could see Portland beating the Lakers. I mean, as, as Harrison said, Dan Lillard scored 51 points. And the and what's the Lakers' problem? We talk about this day one. They have no guards. They have no one to guard. And the Portland Trailblazers are straight. They're the two guards. So if Portland could get into the playoffs, they're like, they could upset the Lakers in the first round. I'm totally intrigued with that series. That would be great. And the Lakers look terrible. I mean, they've lost the last three games. They're getting blown out. Anthony Davis, uh, Harrison has tried, you know, predicted it. Has looked terrible. Yep. He had he had forty two points one game, and then it's averaging like sixteen points the other games, and has been terrible. And so the Lakers are definitely having the problems. And, and you're, LeBron and, and AD are going to have to carry it now against Portland. I think they're going to have trouble. But I mean, but I think the Clippers have looked terrible too. I mean, they've been resting mm. their starters again. Paul George doesn't play. Kawhi Leonard doesn't play. Everybody thinks they're going to flip the switch. I'm not sold on them. But I, I, so Harrison gives me notes before the show and everything, and he did not include one team, which is Denver. So I'm like, Harrison, where's my Denver notes? Because I love this team. Michael Porter Jr. I need to tell you about Michael Porter Jr. University of Missouri, uh, Michael Porter Jr. Yes, he was <laughs> the number there. one high school player that had people had him ranked at the same level, a little baby a bit under than LeBron. He blows out his knees. He is a disaster. His knees, his two knee surgeries, back surgeries, everything. So, but he was drafted in the 14th pick by the 2018 draft. And so, I'm someone who in fantasy. You know, I've been, for the last two years, I've been having him on my fantasy team. He hasn't been playing, and this and that. Well, who would have thought that Michael Porter Jr. comes to this bubble and scores 37, 30, 27, 23, and looks, I mean, I watch him play, looks fantastic. And they've been winning these games without Jamal Murray, their star guard, who on his first game back yesterday had 39 minutes and had 23 points. 
Jokic looks in great shape. They're getting their players back. Denver is going to be the third seed. Like I'm telling you, Denver. If these teams start getting upsetting, uh, upset, I see Denver has a, just as good a chance as anyone to to make it to the NBA. So let me stop you there. The NBA final. Let me stop you there. If you were to, I'll do this game show style. If you could pick right now, who is the third best team in the West right now? Right now, is it Portland, Denver, Houston, Oklahoma City, Utah, or Dallas? Who's the or Phoenix? Also, they're six and zero. They just beat Oklahoma City. Who do you think? Portland, Denver's clearly Denver. Clearly, you think Denver over Portland Denver's playing better? I, Denver's playing better. Okay, I don't know. I so, I, I would say right now you guys throwing Houston, Houston out. Yeah, I mean Houston Houston's... or Portland. Well, who won? They just played recently, and I think Portland. No, Houston won that game. I think a lot of this goes back to what Ira said earlier, and it, it's kind of the truth that some of these teams are just not playing very hard. It doesn't look like they're they have the intensity that are. they would. And yeah, so that's a, maybe the numbers are a little skewed. I do think Houston's trying to win, and you know maybe that helps more than an, uh, a Lakers team that doesn't seem to be all, all that into it. I, I don't know. I mean, I'm still going to take Houston probably as my. I, I still three. I still don't see Denver getting it out of round one. I I don't. I, if they play Oklahoma City, I still think Oklahoma City is going to win that series just because of their coaching uh-huh. and experience. If they play Houston around one, I don't think they can guard them on the perimeter. Utah, I think they would be Utah. That's the only team. They don't want to see Houston or Oklahoma City. Even if the, I don't know if Dallas is close to Utah for that 60. I don't think they are. But if they play Utah, they could win. But the other two, I don't like the odds. We are uh, running out of time here in NBA. Ira, what else you got here uh, before we got to move on? I just want to talk about Dallas. I, I'm telling you, Luka Doncic had 36 points, 14 runs, and 19 assists, and went over the Bucks. He is fantastic. Um, he is—he's going to be in the MVP of the league in a, maybe a year or two. Uh, and Kristoff Porzingis. Now the Knicks—I mean, he was left for dead. They, they gave him up for for nothing for to, to Dallas. I mean, really, they got nothing out of it. Make bad for draft picks. But he looks fantastic. 30 points, 10 rebounds, average in the bubble. I mean, Dallas has the making. I said last week, I think two years away, this team next year could be the team that challenges for like, like these two guys, Dante, who's only uh, 21 years old, and for Singers, who's 25 years old. They're amazing. What a core to have those two. But it's going to be exciting this week. What you're going to watch for is Memphis, Portland, San Antonio, and Phoenix. Two of those four are going to be one's going to be eight seed, one's going to be nine seed. Then they're going to play, and we'll see. And, and Devin Booker for the Suns might have a fifty or sixty point game in there. And the Spurs are hanging in there with, with Popovich coaching great. So I'm excited to see the West. Those are the games I'm interested in: the Memphis games, the Portland games, San Antonio and Phoenix, because those games really matter. Let's uh, let's get into the Major League Baseball season because uh, we are into it, uh, into it, getting pretty deep. It's like almost halfway through the season already. Crazy with the sixty game schedule. So Ira. <laughs> you know, we, we were all kind of hyped up a week ago that the Yankees were going to win 58 games, and now they've dropped five of seven, and half of those to their you know perennial thorn in their side mm-hmm. in the Tampa Bay Rays. So I, I'm not I'm not beginning to doubt the Yankees or anything, but we're beginning to see the parity that is baseball. Well, I think you're seeing parity, but I'm totally wrong. I felt like even with the poor pitching, even though Montgomery's pitching better, I mean that packs it in too long. Cole's three and zero. They're going to get their act together. I, these these losses, took, I mean, they only scored. They they were shut out. How do the Yankees get shut out? Like it's impossible. The Tampa and they score three runs and they score another three. Like this this is ridiculous. If the Yankees can't score five runs a game, it's a disaster. And I think look, Glaber Torres is hitting uh, like uh, less than the Mendoza line by half, and Gary Sanchez is hitting like has yeah, like two hits the whole season. So eventually, Torres and Sanchez have got to start hitting. Um, Aaron Judge is going to win the MVP. Eight home runs, 19 RBIs. But I am concerned. Look, I, I'm not concerned about the Yankees. I still think they're by far the best team in the American League. By far. But 
I, some of these games, yeah, it just shows you the parity and that you can lose to some lose these teams. I mean, it's the Orioles are seven and seven, Tampa's eight and eight. It's crazy. It, one of the good things was the Yankees um, hit really hard on Tyler Glass now, who's you know arguably the ace of, of the Rays. It didn't look good after that, and then the downside is that John Carlos Stanton is made of like tinfoil. I, I don't. You're a DH. You don't play the field and you're getting injured and, you know, your hamstrings are constantly going out. I just, it's amazing that this guy even made it two weeks with, with his injury history. But um, let's go to the central here. And I, 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 yeah, I constantly rip on the Minnesota Twins. They've but been the best team in baseball the last, if you look at the last two years, they've, no one has really been better than the Twins. They hit a lot of home runs last year. They look really good this year. They lost to the Pirates in four in a row. Uh, Kansas City. They're not playing St. Louis because obviously St. Louis isn't playing anyone. But that I think that division looks pretty weak right now. But well, the Pirates and KC are two basically double A teams. Oh yeah, you know, But uh, but you, you got to play. I did tell schedule. you guys before the year. I really like Minnesota. I think they're playing pretty well, especially against a weak division. I still take Cleveland over them for the long term. Cleveland only a few games back. They're close. Yeah. What do you think in the central line? I, I think Cleveland's pitching. Shane Beaver three and zero with a one sixty three ERA. I think no one ever thought the last. Five games, Cleveland's given up two runs, zero runs, zero runs, two runs, and one run and four. I mean, so that's six, seven, nine runs in five games. I mean, they can do that the whole year. That's going to be pretty amazing. I, I no one saw. I think Cleveland's pitching uh, as well as they are, and I think Chicago didn't surprise. I mean, everyone was talking them up, and uh, but again, that's the parody in baseball that they're mentioning. So the best uh, best record in baseball going to belong to uh, Oakland here, and this is just another team like the Rays. Where how do these guys do it year in and year out? It's the Billy Bean, Madden. yeah, a year in and year out, they're at the top of the leaderboard, and they're they're typically going to the playoffs. Well, they swept Texas, they swept Houston. They're twelve and four and won nine in a row. So this is just, it's amazing that Oakland's come out and 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 pitch as well. And they they had this whole incident again. The Houston, I mean, it's all what people want to talk about is that the Oakland. Oakland was hit five times by Houston. They charged after Houston, caused the whole fight. I mean, actually, the, uh, Roman Lorano uh, charged after the the Astros hitting coach. <laughs> like you're, he's getting hit, and then he charges after the hitting coach, and it caused the whole brawl. And everybody's mad at the Astros, and this is getting ridiculous in terms of what the Astros and the hatred. I mean, there's only a few players on the team that played with the cheating scandal in the first place. But I think more than anything, I'm impressed with Oakland, and I'm not impressed with Houston at 6-9. And, and without Verlander, I think they're having a lot of trouble, and this is bothering them. But then, like, the Angels at 5-11, Seattle 6-11. Like, this division, we thought had some really good teams, aren't, isn't playing well at all. I think it's funny that you bring that up, because I've noticed it, too. I didn't think the backlash was going to be quite this bad towards the Houston Astros. I knew they were going to be hated. You knew the Dodgers were going to have something to say about it. Probably the Yankees, too. But yeah, we've got like bullpen pitchers for National League teams that weren't in the playoffs that are hit there giving these guys the finger when they walk on the field. I, it's, it's, I Joe wasn't Kelly wasn't it. even on the Dodgers on this yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm, wait, I'm waiting for an Astro. Like, I think this is so messed up right now that I'm waiting for a player who was on the Astros to like throw at their Astros. Like, like the, these <laughs> players are all on different teams now. Like, you were on the Astros and now you're throwing the Astros for cheating when you were involved in the cheating yourself. Like, it's so stupid. <laughs> like, they should be throwing it too. Like, the, like, an Astro pitcher should throw at a player that was on the Astros, but not on the Astros now, and throw at him because he was cheating. Like, it's pathetic. And then everybody's like, but the national media is nuts about this. Like, they think the Astros should be, like, banned for life or whatever. I'm like, come Relegated on. to this a triple A. getting ridiculous. Uh, let's go to the NL East. Um, maybe a little bit of a, uh, you know, World Series hangover for the Nats, but they're not looking so good. And the Braves, who I think me and Harrison both really liked going yep. into this year, look like they're going to be the class of, the, of a very difficult NL East. 
Yeah, but Soroka, their star pitcher, towards Achilles, which really hurts them. I, you know, everyone's excited about the Marlins, but when you're beating the Orioles, let's not get the Orioles are swept the Nationals. Though, like, so the Marlins are the Orioles swept the Nets, and they're the second, and they're a playoff team right now, currently in the bracket. So don't don't jump to solo conclusions yet. But, Marlins, no, we are. now they play Toronto twice. So that's two easy wins. They're going to be nine and three in, in the playoffs. Well, nothing is easy for the Marlins. No. So that's going to get excited. I, I was wrong about the Mets, I have to admit. But I did predict one Everyone thing. Was. I said, watch some of these pitch players play and get their service time and then quit. We talked about Marcus Stroman for the, for the Mets, the pitcher. He didn't even pitch. He's been on the DL with a calf strain. He got his service time, and then he's, he's opting out. for. So now he's going to be a free agent next year. So he's not even going to pitch on the team. I mean, it seems like the Mets have uh, Jacob DeCrom and nobody else. I mean, he's like, it's like, it's like he's pitching almost every day. He has a, a, you know, a 2-0 record, 2.4 Ibera, 28 strikeouts, only five walks. Um, Matt, Walker, and Porcella, who I thought were going to do great for them, have been awful so far. But chances has been a disaster. Uh, it's amazing the Mets are still seven and nine. But look, the Mets seven and nine, Phils are four and six, Nats at four and seven. Sort of like the AL West, these teams really are are, are terrible. Um, and the Braves might be able to to run away with this division. Let's go to the uh, NL Central here. Um, so what we're seeing. I, I thought the Brewers were going to be the class of this division with the Reds bringing up the slack. But the Cubs are not only hitting really well, they're pitching well, too, and they're in first place for it. Again, they signed these veteran pitchers. Hugh Darvish, who really people were questioning that signing, he's pitched great. I mean, Kyle Hendricks, their veteran pitchers are pitching great, and uh, and they're hitting well. I mean, the Cubs look great. I mean, they look fantastic. Um, now they lost the card series, and that's the big problem in baseball right now is we're having some teams that are having 16, 19, 20 games. The Cardinals only have played five games. They haven't played since July 29th. <laughs> They're going to have to play 55 games in 46 days. They have lost four entire series. You wonder how in the world they're going to make this up. And I, I felt like from day one, I don't know why the Major League Baseball did not use taxi squads. They, they should have. They have a whole team that's sitting there in West Palm Beach. Bring them up and let them play. Like, they're separated. They have no COVID cases on the taxi squad. They've got to play them. Like, it's not, it's fair. So, I mean, you've got to do that. And I felt like that was a mistake. But now, I don't know how they are going to catch up and play 55 games. In 40. It could be even more. It could be 55 games in like 40 days. Unless they, if they keep, because he's getting positive Positive cases. I don't know what they're going to do with the Cardinals, but it's just, it's, I feel bad because you, it, it's fine that impossible to see how the Cardinals are going to win any games when they're playing doubleheader after doubleheader after doubleheader. I don't care if they're seven inning doubleheaders or nine inning doubleheaders; they still are going to get exhausted from this from trying to come do play all these games. Let's uh, talk about the West here, and it's it's the usual suspects. I think everyone expected the Dodgers, Rockies to be leading the way, and they are. Yeah, and Padre, uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. for the Padres are nine and seven. He was rookie. He was not. He was a player of the week. But the Dodgers, who last week lost some games, but they took two out of three from San Francisco, two out of three from San Diego. Mookie Betts is starting to play well. Dodgers are rolling. Uh, but boy, Charlie Blackman for the Rockies, uh, three home runs, eighteen RBIs, hitting four fifty eight. Uh, the Rockies look great. But uh, you know, one thing before we jump, we're done with baseball. Everyone loves this extra inning rule. I mean, I, I have not heard one person say about putting hate the guy it. on second base. I, like, I don't like it either. <laughs> All right. Everybody gets used to it. hate it. But I, it seems like people really like, I like this rule. It I, I think now. it's going to be there for next year. I, I, I don't uh, – I mean, I hope they don't bring it in for next year. I'm not going to be surprised. I would think that they won't. Um, I understand the, the, the premise now. 
trying to get everything done as quickly as possible. But I don't know if baseball cares that much about speeding up everything, you know, speeding up the season so much um, going forward after this. I hope not, at least. We've got less than 10 minutes left here. Crazy. Um, let's get into a little MLS, Harrison. What do you got? All right. So we've been talking about this MLS tournament for about a month now. It ends tomorrow night with the final between the Portland Timbers and Orlando City, who we saw beat Miami on opening night. We'll get to Miami in a second. In the semifinals last week, Orlando beat Minnesota 3-1, and Portland held on to win against Philadelphia 2-1. If we look at this finals preview, uh, Portland's had seven of their starters in their final this year that they had in the 2018 MLS Cup final and a 2-0 loss to Atlanta. They're a team stacked with experience and veterans. They know how to win games. Diego Valerie and Diego Char, the Diego duo as they call them, uh, up in Portland. Uh, they have led this Timberlake team in 2020. They have a um, chip on their shoulder after a disappointing last uh, lost last year in the playoffs to Salt Lake. If we look at Orlando, they've never even made the playoffs in their five-year existence. Oscar Prada, who they hired as their manager this year, they have great veterans like Pedro Glaselli and Marcio Piera. They've been a great for long. Some of their Americans like Chris Mueller and Benji Michelle. And how about uh, the former star with uh, Manchester United, Nani, has just been outstanding for them. Um, he had two goals in their win against Minnesota. He's a great example of what they're hoping to get. And then we had some MLS news earlier this morning. Inter-Miami has signed Blase Matuidi from Juventus. He's only 33 years old and 36 career goals playing for Troyes, St. Etienne, PSG, and Juventus. He was a member of France's 2014 and 2018 World Cup teams. In the 2014 World Cup, he scored two goals against Switzerland in group play. And he was also a member of the 2018 World Cup champion team with PSG. So, not PSG, France. So, exciting news for Inter-Miami, their first big signing. Ira, it's, it's really shaping up this year like... Tis the law is just going to take down every honor when it comes to horse racing. Looked great again this weekend. Well, <laughs> you know, the funny thing when you're Tis the law, so you win the Belmont, you win, of course, the Florida Derby. They just won the Travers, which is in Saratoga by five and a half lanes, uh, with a 109 buyer speed, which is the speed they usually do, which is the fastest speed it's ever had. Um, it, it, Uncle Chuck was, was uh, flown in for California thought it was going to be, you know, it was actually one of the favorites going into Kentucky Derby, uh, and he just blew right past Uncle Chuck at, at, for the stretch. Um, he's going to be, you know, the heavy favorite. He's, he's right now is 11 to 10, 5 to 2 for the uh, for the Derby. Um, and it's just a lot of criticism of Tizala, though, by saying he doesn't seem to run against tough fields. But wait, he's, he's won the Florida Derby. He won the, the Belmont. He's now won the, like, like how many, like, the question is, are there any other horses that are out there that can beat him and, and, and stop him from the Triple Crown? But against the Kentucky Derby, it'll be exciting. But there's Art Collector, who uh, won. At, there was another race at the Ellis Park Derby yesterday, and Art Collector easily won that. So that's one to talk about. Also, Honor AP, who was first at Santa Anita, who has a good chance. But some of these other favorites, like Uncle Chuck is still 10-1 to 1 or 20-1 to 1 for the uh, – uh, Derby, and he just totally destroyed him. He beat uh, Dr. Post. Dr. Post is 21 to his second in the Belmont, and the third in the Belmont was Max Player. So these are all horses that Tisdala is, so is going to be running against horses that he soundly defeated, and you wonder, like, in a month when he goes against the Derby, like, what's going to happen? I, 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 it's a little bit annoying for me. You know, you know, I'm a big horse racing guy, and I like to win money when I bet horse races, and it's just so hard to make money right now when you've got this overwhelming favorite blowing everybody out week after week. It's, it, it's been difficult, you know, and it's almost taking the fun out of it a little bit. I mean, we want to see greatness, but at the same time, most people are there to bet. <laughs> so let's um. Well, I before, the last time, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the last time a Kentucky Derby starter was less than two to one at post time. Now this is different because you don't have the Belmont first. Was Point Given in two thousand one, almost twenty years ago, oh. and they're looking. You're looking at Tisbalah could be eleven is even money uh, for the for the Kentucky Derby. So that would, it could be an all time record. 
uh, for 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 the even more than like you know as far as even like secretary general that whatever yeah. to be an even money favorite. And some of the insiders I know too, you know, the Derby always fills the twenty spots. They they'll take twenty three, and then if there's scratches, they're gonna fill twenty posts, if not nineteen. This might be a twelve horse Kentucky Derby, so that's also gonna bring the odds down even more. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Speaking about panning out, it's gonna be a really big night for someone in hockey, Ira. And I don't know if you know what what the NHL's decided to do. There's a, a generational talent at number one overall, Alexis Lafreniere. And what they did was take all the the, top, the seven teams who weren't invited to the to the NHL playoff aren't allowed to get the first round pick, the first overall pick. It's going to be one of the first eight teams eliminated. Teams like, oh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Toronto Maple Leafs, Edmonton, our Florida Panthers, uh, the New York Rangers. Crazy how they did this, Ira. I don't agree with it. But tonight, someone's going to get a little bit wealthier that probably doesn't need it as much as others. Well, I, I'm telling you what, when you get it, you're almost thinking that he could go to the Rangers because you want to get a shot in the arm for hockey, put you know, the, the franchise in New York, uh, give him the, the, the best, you know, the, one of the best young players in, in the last decade coming there. It just, it doesn't it feel, it just, it just feels like it's going to be fixed for the Rangers. I just feel like it, it could be. And if, if Pittsburgh gets them, they're going to be really mad. It's something we would love to have them down here in Florida. But uh, I just have a feeling that. It's just nothing's going to happen where he's suddenly going to say New York Rangers and then they're going to put him there. I think it's going to be uh, Minnesota. That's it, my pick. Hey, Ira, though, your mouth to God's ears. I mean, <laughs> we could use a, a quality oh, center like that. It, like, you wouldn't believe. So I'll take it. Let's run through these uh, these yep. tournaments real quick. So we're going to see Columbus rematch versus Tampa in what was the biggest upset in maybe playoff history last year when Columbus swept the number one overall Tampa Bay Lightning. I say no chance that happens again. I am going to go out here and say right now Columbus is going to do it again. This is the team. This is the least team Tampa wanted to play in all the postseason. They play physical. They can outmatch Tampa. They'll go run with them. I think Columbus beats them again. I don't think it's going to be a sweep. It could be six, seven games, but I am taking Columbus to upset them once again. Calgary and Dallas. Calgary is a team that if they had a goalie, this could be – they could be – you know, contending to win the Western Conference every year. I don't think they have no, enough to I think Dallas. Dallas is good experience. I'm going to take them four or five games. Dallas as well. Car- Carolina is not the team that Boston wants to see here coming off a uh, just a devastating series versus the Rangers. But Boston's Boston, and I'm going to take them in a long series, maybe um, six or seven. Well, as a big Bruins fan as I am, the Bruins very just treated these round-robin games like they were preseason games. They won the President's Trophy this year. They faced Carolina, actually, in last year's conference finals and dominated them. Yeah. Three of the four games were just absolute blowouts before, over before they even got to the third period. I do think the Bruins are going to win. They're going to turn it on. Hopefully they flip the switch, win it in probably six games. Nice success story with Chicago beating uh, Connor McDavid and the Oilers, but can't see that continuing with their shoddy defense and goaltending versus Vegas. Uh, nope, they have. It's it's a fun story that they were able to beat Edmonton, but I it, Vegas is too much there. It's so talented. And it's it's a good story for Chicago, but it won't be enough. I hate to say it, but the New York Islanders are going to be a tough out for Washington. Oh, yeah. Washington's a good team, but the Islanders, as we saw in this series versus the Panthers, they don't make mistakes. I'm taking Islanders. They it, play sound. They're they are a great defensive team. Their goaltending yeah. uh, was exceptional in this round. Uh, Varnalov, their goalie, was outstanding. It's so many clutch saves against the Panthers. The Caps didn't really look that good in the round, Robin. Unlike the Bruins, I think the Capitals were really trying in those games. I think Islanders win that series. Pull the Caps in six or seven for Caps me. And, Caps and... Uh, Oh yeah. Um, so Arizona is a great story. No chance they beat Colorado, who I think could be the best team in the West. Colorado, I think, is my pick to win the Stanley Cup. I think they are deep. They have good goaltending. They score a lot of goals. Uh, I'm going to take. I think Colorado could be a sweep. Philadelphia is a team that nobody would have predicted be the number one overall seed. They were they were one like eight in a row before we got to obviously the stoppage, but they were dominated those round robin games. 
I can't believe the Canadians beat Pittsburgh. Ira, you should be embarrassed from your hometown. Just against a team that like was the last team to make the playoffs in the entire NHL. I think I don't want to bet against the Canadians, but I, I think do. I will. Uh, <laughs> I think it'll be five. a pretty easy series win for Philly. Philly and five. The next they're, they're a good team. And then uh, yep. I think Vancouver's going to give the reigning Stanley Cup champion St. Louis uh, Blues some, some fight, but this will be a six-game St. Louis win. Yep, similar to the Boston Bruins, the Blues who won the Stanley Cup last year, unfortunately. Uh, they went from the number one seed and the second best record in the NHL to the four seed where they lost all three games in the round robin. I think what the Bruins and Blues did, I think they're both well-coached teams, great organizations, top tier in the NHL. I really think they didn't treat these games like they really matter. They know how to get to the Stanley Cup. They've done it before. I think they were kind of testing the Kings. They haven't played for a few months. Not really going to go all in. And now they're going to turn on the Jets as the postseason begins. Ira, any comments on hockey or want to just uh, give Harrison uh, five across the eyes for ripping your Penguins? Hey, they could get a top player. <laughs> I think I think it's, it's disappointing that the Florida Panthers weren't able to get out into the playoffs. I think it would have been good for television ratings. I think in Florida, I think it would have been. So I'm disappointed. I think they didn't play well. And I was watching some of those games. And I, I just, I feel from as a Florida fan, I thought it would have been a, a shot in the arm for the whole thing in Florida, for them to be involved in this, because we saw where the Dolphins are playing well. And, you know, we're hoping the Heat do well. But I, you would really have liked to see the Panthers get through that. Just so now people have to understand, this is now the playoffs. Like, they're entering, they're now entering, they're going to be a week ahead of the NBA and starting to play in the playoffs. The NBA will start to play us a week later. But this, this is the 16 teams. The other teams now go home. And it's best to, you know, this is, so this is the playoffs for the NHL. Ira, it kills me, too, because the, the Panthers are so top-heavily talented. And, you know, we love the Panthers here. We're big sponsors of the Panthers at the True Oldies channel. And they've got such, such great players, but they just, they make too many mistakes. They don't play very good defense, and the goaltending's been less than mediocre. It's just been downright bad. Yeah, the Borowski signing just doesn't look like not the looking deal very they paid good for last right July. now. Um, so, yeah, it's really disappointing, and, and I hope the, you know, I hope better for them next year. Ira on Sports, True Oldies channel. Ira, let's talk a little UFC. I want to say something. Go ahead. If you guys want to watch some great matches on on Saturday, it's going to be phenomenal. Uh, Mia Seku is the heavyweight champion of the world against Cormier. This is a trilogy. Now, the first time they fought in July of 18, uh, Mia Seku lost to Cormier for the title. Okay, he, not, he was knocked down in the first round. He came comes back a year later in August, and then he beat him in the fourth round knockout. And now this is the the final trilogy. They've been they are, they, are, they are the two of the greatest fighters of all time. They're heavyweights, so it's very exciting to watch. And the odds are dead even. I mean, you got two, the one and two, two of the best fighters, dead even odds. And if you want something to get excited before you go, Junior Dos Santos and Rosenstruck, who's the fifth and sixth ranked, hey, wait, they're even odds also. So, But I'm telling you, this UFC on Saturday night is going to be absolutely fantastic. And you get to see Sean O'Malley, who, the one with the crazy hair, they're trying to make to be the next Conor uh, McGregor. Uh, he's, he's on the card. But really, the Mia Sick Cormier trilogy fight is going to be epic, and I'm, I'm pumped. I'll buy the card. I can't wait to watch it. Ira, one of the things that's been uh, disappointing um, throughout uh, this pandemic is how tennis hasn't been able to really do anything. And, you know, you've noticed it's because of the just the international logistics of it. The problem is tennis has been, everyone said the easiest thing is that there's too many, they, in golf, there's international players, but they all seem to live in Florida, in Palm Beach Gardens, in tennis, they live around the world, there's tournaments everywhere around the world, and to get people from who are different countries and different countries into the countries, it's impossible to do, and now the U.S. Open is set for September, for September. there's no, nothing really before that, that match, there, there's a women's tournament in August they're going to try to do in Lexington, Kentucky, but you already have Nadal and Kyrgyz out, there's going to be a ton of, uh, 
of uh, players are not going to play the U.S. Open, meaning the Gadal not playing is big enough itself. But the fact that the French Open is just two weeks after, I think you're going to see the American players play in the U.S. Open and the, and the foreign players play in the French Open because also you have this whole quarantine issue where people are saying, wait, if I go to the play of the U.S. Open, I have to come back in quarantine. How am I going to get ready for my French Open? It makes no sense. And that's really it. You're going to get these two tournaments. So when, this co- when the COVID started, people said, oh, tennis, they'll be fine. And they really have been totally decimated in terms of playing. They're going to try to get the U.S. Open, no fans, but then, uh, then again come back to the French Open two weeks later. But you're, you're going to see depleted fields with both tournaments. But it's really sad. As, you know, a huge tennis fan I am, uh, you're just not going to see the stars playing each other. It's crazy. It's, it's the most socially distanced, distanced mm-hmm. sport. They're like, you know, 50 yards apart from each other, but we can't get it together. So just crazy how that works out. But, it, you know, I, I understand why. Ira, what are we doing this week? Um, I just think, look, little little soft on golf. I got, I'm really excited about the UFC, and I'm just excited to see the end of the basketball. I watched a lot of basketball this week, and started watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. You got tomorrow night. You have the MLS title. I feel for soccer, they needed to get that in before these guys started. Like I think they they should have compressed it more, maybe started workers. If you would have MLS, I think you're playing MLS their their championship of the get the when they're coming back. So I think they they should have moved that up so people would have watched it. But no, there's a lot on. We got baseball going on, so it's great. There's a lot of good sports on, and it's exciting to watch. Yeah, I, I, you know, we said it on this show that watch how these leagues cannibalize each other once they all all get going. We're going to see what truly is America's favorite sports and by what percentages, just based off the ratings. We're out of time, though. Yeah. On behalf of Ira Harrison, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. It's Iron Sports.